Okay, here we are. It's the Robcast. Rob Bell here with my esteemed... Have I ever introduced myself on my own podcast with my esteemed colleague, Trace Bell? I am excited to be here, yes. Part three, part Trace. (laughs) Yes, part three of our series, Me, We, and Everybody. And by now, we are... We were just discussing this. We're probably... Those past two episodes were probably a good three hours, so we're now into our third or fourth hour in this series of taking you through what is sometimes called stages of unfolding consciousness, spiral dynamics, first and second tier consciousness. Um, It goes by lots of names. There's lots and lots of theorists and writers and philosophers and educators who have talked about these stages of growth, these spaces within us, these centers of gravity, these lenses through which we see the world. I'm trying to give like every (laughs) possible way of thinking about what we've been talking about for this. And there's a lot of them. Multiple series. So this is episode 297 of the Robcast, and um, this is part three. And what we want to do in this episode is show you across culture all sorts of different ways that these stages and spaces are constantly at play. And it becomes, in some ways, a way of understanding how people are living and moving in the world and why certain things are happening. So we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the Occupy Wall Street movement, Jack White, the Kardashians. We're going to talk about LeBron breaking bad, the NBA and the NFL, Moneyball. <laughs> Well, Trump and the Republican Party. Oh, yeah, there's going to be tons of examples. And, and that's one of the best things about this model is that the ways you can see it play out in culture and society today. When you can see it kind of mapped out um, today, it helps you really kind of understand the model and kind of use it in like a practical way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's do a review just because um, becoming conversant even in these colors is one. It's just one of the many ways you can go about it. But um Let's just go back through. So first, early first tier, you have archaic. The color is beige. Color is beige, yeah. And this is the like kind of survival stage. So this is the stage that's purely concerned with like water, food, uh, shelter. It's just the stage that is only concerned with... It's like the most basic primitive stage that... Um, is just purely concerned with just like basic survival and making it throughout the day. Safety, yeah. instinct. Yeah, and... Just the next meal, the next hit, the next whatever. Yeah, and like you brought up in in the last episode, this is this is a stage that it's not just like only like primitive. This is a stage that exists within all of us all the time. Like we're all at any point we could be in a situation in which beige, the beige stage would just come out like you and I hear gunshots right now. Things get really archaic really fast. Exactly. Yeah. Stay alive. Get down. Duck. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Then um, you move from beige archaic to purple which is sometimes called magic and yep. once again trace and i are, are dividing up these there are different models divide up the stages different ways but this is this is our me we everybody model yeah. purple magic yep purple magic so this is the this is the well the magic stage so this is the stage of of magical thinking and this is the stage of where it's kind of like keep this keep the spirits on our side so it's there's there's forces outside of our control that are influencing our lives and it's up to us to make sure those spirits and those forces are on our side. So it's very um, kind of magical thinking and very, uh, um, yeah, it's very, very 
uh, yeah. What do I have to do? Yeah. To keep the forces on my side. Yeah. By the way, I'm jumping way ahead here, but what's interesting about um, purple magic is now if you were to go um, way down the line to orange, which is rational logic, think about um, when business people, specifically regarding the stock market, talk about the market. Yeah. And what it's doing. Yeah. And we had a good day, we had a bad day. What you'll often notice is very sophisticated. Um, what would you even say? People who would consider themselves facts-based, evidence-based. I don't go for any of that crazy superstition. I just stick with the numbers. When they speak about the market and what it's doing, and it's it's on our side, it's against us, it's for us. Yeah, no, purples, purples <laughs> That's are really... very purple. Purple's a really interesting stage because it feels very primitive and feels like very archaic, just like beige. But again, like it, it comes out in... It, it can it comes out all the time, and, yes, like, and people right. people kind of have their own version of purple, like you mentioned, <laughs> like people you wouldn't really think would think about yes. like spirits and forces, like might not believe in like they might not call it spirits, but like you're right, like yeah, like rational, educated people would yes. like the market, like they're, they're, those forces and those spirits can take the different different forms, which right. I think is really important right. to know, and I think it's a really important thing for yeah to kind of to point out because I think it's really kind of interesting and cool when you see that oh absolutely like, you think about the really the educated successful very empowered person who says god this is always happening to me yeah uh, as if the universe has some sort of vendetta against them personally well that's very purple that's very early so all these spaces exist within us okay beige archaic purple magic then we move to red power. Yes, red power. So this is this is the stage that's very um, about control and power and being the top dog, being being alpha. Fire up the Camaro. Run, yeah. So this is this is <laughs> mafia bosses and yes, uh, rap music and dictator, dictator. And yeah, this is this is the person that rises up and kind of takes autonomy and and I'm the leader, I'm in charge. Um, this per, this stage is usually very. Um, focused on their own desires and their own yeah achievements and yeah yeah in in health it's empowerment strength leadership vitality in unhealth it's destructive impulsive lack of discipline crushes and exploits everybody in its path yeah can only think about its own desires and needs and wants of the moment yeah yeah and this is a, this is a good example of this health and unhealth at each stage because like i kind of made it sound i just kind of portrayed it almost as like in the, un, the unhealthy way but there's red has a very healthy aspect to oh, it man. and actually actually integrating red is actually a very important part in in order to be a fully well-rounded human being a lot of people actually need to integrate more red into their lives because it's it's a move from disempowered to powered you know i was uh i was cleaning out that storage room right there a couple of weeks ago and I was going through some old an old file that I had and I came across this three by five card and it had something written on it and I was like oh I remember this I was writing this was probably three or four books ago I was just in the middle of the book and it was just a slog and I was uh, just trying to get through writing this section of the book that was giving me just it was like difficult to figure out the words on it 
and I wrote on a three by five card, this can be done and just put it like on the laptop. So when I was typing, this can be done, yeah. which was like, God, I need to tap into some red right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, for sure. You often help need this. Healthy red is necessary. Yeah. Lots yeah or of like boundaries with people in your life who treat you a certain way and you've come to realize uh, I'm not going to allow them to treat me like this. You have to, yeah. I, I think of it almost like reaching down and grounding yourself in red power vitality. You will not treat me like this is how it's going to work from here yeah. forward. Okay. So archaic, magic, red. And then after red, you have what are uh, sometimes the colors amber, we'll call it blue. The color's blue in our model, and it's sometimes called traditional. Yep. Or conformist. Yep. Blue, conformist, traditional. This is this is the stage that's very much about structure and and purpose. And there's a, there's an order and there's some sort of usually some sort of doctrine that hierarchy that every it, it takes the the power and the vitality of red and, and makes it uh, gives it something to for to put its energy towards. So yes. this is all this stage is all about. There's a way things are done. There's a way we do things. There's a way. There's an there's an order, and there's a there's a hierarchy, and there's a purpose for for everyone in order to contribute to yeah. the overall good. Yeah, that's a uh, the red. The move from red to blue is the move from me to we. It's the move from pre-conventional to conventional. It's the move from the individual to the group. It's the move from the uh, single individual to the tribe. That's a huge, huge move. And so bravery, courage, sacrifice, this is how things are done. Um, be a team player. Um, these are the rules. Um, you have a part to play in this. Uh, blue can is wonderful for discipline, moral compass, uh, postpone gratification. Um, unhealthy blue can be crushing in its conformity. Um, doesn't matter what you think. These are the rules. Yeah, yeah, an unhealthy blue sees their view as the only right one. So, yeah, so it's it's very There's one story. If, if you're in the tribe, you're good, but everyone outside the tribe is the enemy, and that's the that's the yeah, an un unhealthy blue. That's one of the big issues. Yeah. Okay. Then, um, when you move from traditional blue, and at blue, truth is understood to have been revealed, and this is a key thing about the understanding of truth. And, and epistemology is essentially how we know what we know. At blue, generally, the, the law, the code, the text has been revealed or handed down. So we don't question it because it's an absolute of sorts. Then you have the move from blue to orange, which is also called modern, which is where truth comes from discovery, reason, logic, Evidence, data, metrics, statistics. Yeah, this is like the TED Talk stage. Like, <laughs> this is like, yeah, or orange is the the rational kind of scientific um, stage. It's where you the it, it takes a more like individualistic approach instead of the blue kind of more like uh, yeah. community. Like there was a certain order. Orange is like, well, let's look at the facts. Like, what is, what does the data show? What is the what does the evidence show? Instead of just following whatever doctrine or whatever whatever scripture or book that Blue said was the truth, let's yes. actually investigate the the data and the facts and see. Let's what's, think about this. Let's, let's think analyze. about this. Yeah. So so orange is yeah r about um, what is how can we develop solutions 
that are based on that are best for everyone that are based on just hard cold data essentially yeah this is why when you often uh your wonderful and very outspoken atheist friend probably grew up baptist as often um, that's a joke but it also has some truth in there about grew up in blue and then began to question it and it was it's all myths it's all fairy tales yeah. it's all barbaric stories that yeah. people just told to rationalize their grab for power yeah this is um, this is the classic atheist stage like like this stage loves looking back on blue and criticizing those crazy religious people with their, right not right. believing in facts and science i'm all i'm only about reason and yeah this is the, this it, yeah 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 but then healthy orange good god democracy oh yeah scientific method electricity <laughs> to oh, name oh, just yeah. a few no, no the orange in history the orange stage brought i mean brought brought so much technology and so much so many advancements to the way we live our lives like yeah they were just so huge so th this stage was a huge step in in human evolution and it brought so many great things yeah. orange is your friend who knows how to organize things how to run things who takes that business that's in disarray and goes hold on let me get some quickbooks going here let's uh pay our delayed tax bill let's find out how much we owe. like yeah orange is that person who comes in and says okay Here's the budget. Here's how much each department gets. Here's how we're going to run this thing. Efficiency, production. Um, yeah, any organization, we'll talk about that in a second. Any health organization, healthy organization, gotta have blue, gotta have orange, gotta have healthy red, gotta yeah. have some sort of like integrated, healthy people, institutions, movements, businesses are what happens when all of these different spaces are activated and appreciated and loved and valued for the how necessary, how integral they are to everything. Now, orange, also called modern, then leads to green, which is called world-centric, postmodern, pluralistic. It's called all kinds of things. Yeah, it has a lot of different names, but yeah, the green stage is the... More, I kind of think of it as almost like the sensitive stage. It's like the, and I don't mean that as a criticism or a <laughs> no, diss right, at all. Right, right, right. It's this stage is about like it's the anti hierarchy stage. This is the stage is about how everyone has a point of view. Everyone is equal. We need to love. And everybody accept. belongs. Everybody belongs. We need to love and accept everyone. Um, this Everybody's stage is, my neighbor. This stage is about reaching decisions through consensus. So what is what is everyone's viewpoint? It's a little, it moves away. Orange can be a little cold sometimes. It's just about, I'm just about the facts. I'm just about the, the data and the reason. And green kind of moves it more into the heart a little bit. Um, and green completely rejects all the hierarchies from the lower stages. So it's yeah. everyone is equal. Um, there's, there's, there's no, it's, there's no hierarchy. The hierarchies that there's no hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At orange, the question is, does it work? At green, the question is, is it good? Yeah. Um, now, uh, what Trace and I took you through the first two parts of the series, the, f the first three hours, was uh, this is all what's called first-tier consciousness. And in first-tier consciousness, institutions, movements, marketplaces, family systems, towns, spiritual communities have centers of gravity, have dominant centers of gravity. So uh, even in, in walking you through all this, the past um, few, few hours of this content, 
probably you're going, oh yeah, that's, I remember one time I did this for an advertising agency and a woman raised her hand and she said, on Saturday mornings, I go to my green yoga class. And on Sunday mornings, I go to my blue church. <laughs> so um, you can see how different settings have different centers of gravity. And people are very complex. So people have all these things happening within us, but there are these centers of gravity. Now, what happens at green is green is wonderful because it opens us up to all these other stories, all these stories that haven't been heard. So, oh, we haven't heard their story. And, oh, it's about time it values all of these stories, but it can easily get bound up in what's called a performative contradiction. It's so tolerant that it doesn't know what to do with its intolerance. It's so open to every story, it doesn't know what to do when it comes across the need to actually bring hierarchy and judgment to something. Because some stories are destructive. They don't make the world a better place. Yeah. That'd be one way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's and and their uh, their performative contradiction is is that they they reject all hierarchies and say all hierarchies are bad and almost like all truths are equal, but that itself is a truth that they're they're placing <laughs> yes. as the top yes. truth. That's it, it's it's a little bit of like a like a mind bender, but um the them them saying that they're that to rejecting hierarchies that view itself is placing my view as the best. So it's a little bit of a performative contradiction that, that gets them into trouble. They get all bound up. Oftentimes green, there's a heavy reaction to blue. So in blue, blue loved absolute truth. Blue loved a very narrow, rigid understanding of truth. So green, in unhealth, green is racing from that. So any definitive truth statements sound narrow and judgmental. But the problem is, Green then doesn't, it gets all bound up in your truth and there's your truth and, oh, I'm just telling my truth. But the problem is it ends up not knowing, it ends up incredibly narcissistic in unhealth because there's your truth and your truth and your truth. And then there's how I feel and you, and that can be healthy and needed, a sensitivity to how this oh, goes across yeah. for others. But then in unhealth, it can get bound up and you end up with, but this is actually unhealthy green is where we get fake news, which is yeah. where we get an inability to decipher what even is true. Yeah. So at first tier, all of these different stages sort of, you look forward with fear, you look back with disdain, and these stages bump up against each other because each one can only imagine seeing the world through its present state. Yeah, each, each one thinks that their view is the right one and try, almost tries to force their view on the other ones. Like, it, it's only only my stage is the correct one, and every other stage is missing it. And it, and there's there, it creates a lot of conflict because all these stages are at each other's throats trying to, like, impose their views on each other. Those and, radical leftist commies yeah. are going to want their set... They want to destroy America. Those rigid, uptight Fox News Republicans are dragging everything backwards, disrespecting all the achievements and advancements we've made over the past few generations. You end up with what are called culture wars. Yeah. You end up with people getting fired for these new dangerous ideas they're spreading. You get tremendous arrogance about earlier stages. Um, you, get a, you get a mess. Now, uh, and what we outlined in the last episode was 
integral, which is called second tier. The color is yellow. And integral is what happens when you see all of these stages within yourself. And you're no longer stuck in the friction of first tier, but you've come to see all the stages within yourself and you are meeting people where they're at. You still have, obviously, strong opinions, judgments. However, you're clear on things, but you also are playing... Sometimes you and I talk about playing a different game. Yeah, yeah. The, the big difference between the integral, the yellow stage, and the, the first tier, the other stages, is that um, yellow sees that each stage is necessary for growth, so it doesn't try to force... It sees that people need to... By seeing the, their stages within themselves and their growth within themselves... It sees that people need to go through each stage in order to properly evolve. So yellow has a better grasp at the actual model and the, the development development model that we're talking about because yellow sees that each stage is is necessary and integral to actual to actual growth. The other stages just are trying to force their own viewpoints on each other and saying that like you're wrong, the other stages are wrong. Yellow is seeing that each stage actually plays a very necessary role. Um, because they were able to see it within themselves. Within themselves. And and after yellow in second tier, you have turquoise coral, you get into flow systems, you get into quantum entanglement, you get into um, formless. Maybe someday down the road we'll do a whole thing on that. Yeah, I think that would be fun. When, everybody's, later, yeah. when everybody's ready. Um, also, you'll you'll notice in yellow, all sorts of healing begins to take place. Because earlier stages that you went through you're no longer treating them with disdain because you see the good that that stage gave you and you're able to leave behind that which wasn't helpful. Yeah, the, the demonizing of the stages stops at yellow. because Yeah, this is what I've seen. I've seen this so many times, especially people's upbringings where they're like, it was so whatever, oppressive, restrictive, narrow, at yellow, this tremendous healing. I'll, I'll just say to the person, did you have braces? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I did. Who paid for them? You got your teeth straightened. Who paid for it? My parents? Yeah. So apparently this world that you're all bound up about, somebody in that world somewhere cared that you have straight teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just the most elemental, yeah. uh, the, just the most basic sort of things. Yeah. And all, uh, discipline, that's where you get that. Yeah, all you, these things that people got. You're able to see the health at each stage and yeah. see how it um, contributes to, the, to, to growth. Now... Due to that, was that a brief or was that a long review? I have no idea. Even <laughs> even our attempt to like speed round our you review can't really like summarizes <laughs> like briefly. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me tell a couple stories. So so what we want to do now is just show you all the different ways that you can find all these stages happening all the time. So let me take uh, let me do a couple stories and then and then you talk about Trump. How's that? Okay. <laughs> um. Here's one. 2006, I was on tour. It was the first Everything is Spiritual tour. You were eight eight years old. And uh, I always ask on tour the venue manager, like, hey, who's been here recently? Like one time in Detroit, I remember the... Uh, I was like, hey, who's who's been here in the past little while? I remember the guy in, uh, at a venue in Detroit on tour was like, you know, we had the most interesting singer in here. She was quite good. Oh, really? W what's her name? He's like... She's just starting out. It was uh, late Gogs, late lady. I was like, Lady Gaga? He's like, yeah, yeah, that was it, <laughs> Lady Gaga. So one of the fascinating things is you're finding out who's been in doing the theater that you are at that night. And one night at the Glass House in Pomona, 
I asked the uh, stage manager, hey, who's been here recently? And he says, oh, interesting enough, the White Stripes just did two nights here recently. This was like peak 2006 White Stripes. We still didn't know whether they were brother or sister or married, that whole thing with the White Stripes. And, and he said, that, you know the interesting thing about the White Stripes? He said, you know who Jack White travels with? And I said, no, what an interesting question. Who does Jack White travel with? He said, an accountant. And he said, yeah, it's really interesting. Jack White's accountant is really, really, really good. And like after the show, went through every last column, right down to every last penny to make sure that the finances on the show completely lined up. So when you think about Jack White and you think about his work with the Rock and Tours, you think about all of the different bands he's in and the music he's doing, you think about him as like the ultimate artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just following the muse yeah. around the world. But it also turns out there's a guy named Earl in a sweater vest and horn room glasses down the hall who has an MBA from Brown, apparently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this guy. So what is that? That is somebody who understands get that let's call it blue orange um the artists that you have most appreciated over the years um to have to be able to create what they're creating year after year after year somewhere in there is structure order discipline an accounting department there's a budget in there somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's what allowed them to be as successful as they are because you need yeah. that structure, you need that discipline yeah. to in order to really do what they were what they were able to do. Yeah. So when you meet your self-proclaimed, highly evolved, super green, fair trade coffee artist who's like, no man, I'm not selling out. I'm just I'm just just seeing where it takes me. Well <laughs> yeah. It may take you to a van down by the river. <laughs> yeah. Without some, oh, by the way, one time I was doing this for an, an art agency and laid out these stages for them. And a woman said, she raised her hand, she said, uh, I'm blue. I live in a blue world. I come from a blue family. I am blue to the bone. And I said, oh, really? And what do you do here? And she said, I'm the accountant. <laughs> and it was so great because... We were able to take all of these artists and show them through these stages that when she comes to you with the form, when she comes to you and needs receipts, when she comes to you and needs you to do this paperwork that feels to you like it's dragging you down, like, I don't want to have to do this, you could see that. Or you could see that she is keeping this thing structurally intact so that you can fly and be free and do your thing. Um, so this is often you'll see you'll see people really doing interesting work. You'll see some sort of integration of these different stages. Um, okay, let's do another one. Let's I should do the Occupy one. Yeah, this that, one's this legendary. One. What year was Occupy movement? I think a couple like of years ago. Twelve wasn't it? Two thousand twelve. That sounds about right. Yeah. Remember that Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street, the 1%, the 99%, this raising of awareness of a growing gap between rich and poor. Uh, we had people camping out in city centers, raising awareness. It was a very, very powerful um, movement. I was, on, I was on tour around that time, so oftentimes I'd go to a city, and then I'd go out walking, 
and find where the Occupy folks were, and it was just, it was like a buzz in the air. There is this legendary Rolling Stone feature in the magazine about Occupy, and they interviewed the leaders of the Occupy movement, and apparently what happened is the, the guys from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream went to the Occupy Wall Street leadership and said, you guys got everybody's attention. Like, you've got the megaphone. You've got the mic. Public consciousness is, is ready. We want to help you take what you're doing and give it legs. Like, figure out how to build a legislative platform, how to do policy initiatives. Let's, we'll fund some structure building so that this thing could be more than just a slogan and a feeling. And it's unbelievable when you read the article, the leaders of the movement were like, no way. Um, we're not selling out. We're not, right. That's that. We don't need any of that corporate structure. This is a revolution. Oh, <laughs> uh, when you read the article, you're like, oh, because essentially Ben and Jerry, who knew how to build an ice cream empire, are saying, you have tapped into a beautiful green truth here. But in order to actually give it legs and have it sustain, you're going to have to do the very unsexy work of the details, of the spreadsheets, of the... All that blue and orange that is needed. Yeah, this is a classic example of just not integrating the stages before yes. you. It's looking back yes. and with disdain instead of actually seeing the healthy aspects of the stages before you <laughs> and integrating them. Because now, I mean, Occupy Wall Street. I, I don't even is it still around? Right? I don't even know. Right, like, right. As yeah, like if you think about what are the what are the what are the, your top three favorite policy initiatives that they enacted at a legislative level with how we run our country. You can't think of any because there aren't any that we know of. Yeah. Um, by the way, I remember um, when mom and I started the church and it was, it just, it was like wildfire what was happening, but then trying to bring structure to it. And I remember people started to say, so we were trying, we were always a step behind trying to bring organized and organizational structure to it. But I remember people started to use this word. They were like, this we would like come up with some new way to try and organize it. And somebody would say, look, this just feels like, I don't know, this feels corporate. <laughs> and I, after a while I started laughing because I was like, I think corporate means like accountability, means structure, means you actually have to work within the budget that you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just this resistance. Like we just need to be free to go. Well, what's interesting is when, we stay within the budget, we're suddenly way freer. Yeah. This is all this is all what happens when all these stages are properly um, integrated. Oh, okay, here's one. A number of years ago, there was a massive selling book. Uh, for a while there, it was the most success, it was the highest selling book in English other than the Bible. It was written by a pastor in Southern California named Rick Warren. It was called A Purpose Driven Life. I haven't read the book, but somebody told me what the first line of the book was. So I was at Target, and I went and found it in order to read the first line just to see if what the person said was true. The book is called A Purpose Driven Life. I swear it sold 20 million copies. Just a massive phenomenon. And here's why I want to tell you this. When you see a massive phenomenon, 
and it doesn't appear obvious why it's connecting with so many people. If you think about it in terms of stages of unfolding evolution and growth, that's probably what's happening is somebody is giving people language for the ache they're feeling because the stage that they're at, they're, they're, it's time to, they're moving, they're expanding. So the line that I had been told, and then I went and found the book in the store and read the first line, the line of this book, biggest selling book since the Bible in English language, the first line of the book is, it's not about you. And I may even be butchering that, but it's something that's like, it's not about you. Now, why is that interesting? Well, this is, uh, you have a baby boomer generation, which was explosive in its birth rate. So you had this whole new generation of Americans who grew up post-World War II in this massive economic boom. And what developed was something called the American dream. You can do anything, baby. You can get a nice house. You can get a nice car. You can get a vacation house. You can get a timeshare. You might even get a sailboat. You can have a membership at the golf club. You can do it. And so this American dream for a whole generation was incredibly compelling. But what happens, and that's red in many ways, that's you can have everything. And so what happened for many, many people is they went after that dream, and now there's a nice car, maybe two in the garage, maybe it's a three-car garage. There's a vacation home, there's nice clothes, there's a number of flat-screen TVs, and they're sitting in their large home bored. Yeah, because if it's just about you, at some point, Life gets super boring. So this man comes along and writes a book, and it's not, uh, how should we say it, high literature. <laughs> it's not high art. It's very simple, and that's why it's so powerful. It's not about the refined art making of it or the liter. It's about the message, which is, hey, you little bored, it's not about you. And then the book goes on, you have a purpose. Yeah. You can give yourself to something larger than yourself. Which is red to blue. Oh, red to blue, baby. Yeah. Anytime you've seen somebody saying, I want to live for something larger than myself, um, I don't just want it to be about me, oftentimes that's a move from red to blue. Sometimes it's a move from orange to green, but at a earlier stages, it's the invitation to take those vital, to take all that energy, to take all that vitality and give it to something larger than yourself. Because otherwise, we end up either bored or our, our, just our desires and our impulses and instincts just consume us. Yeah. And, okay, talk to me about Trump. Oh, I, actually, I was going to do a book example real quick. Oh, just, nice. Because I just thought of this. Uh, you know, because it just came to me, the, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is one of the biggest spiritual books of all time. Oh, yeah, right. right. I, think, I think one of the genius of, of that book is that it's able to be read at every level. Ah, like Eckhart yes. Tolle found a way. He, the, he does the Power of Now, the present moment. He takes the present moment and he, he writes a, he wrote a, a spirituality book using the present moment that was you're able to be read at multiple at any stage of growth mm -hmm. and multiple levels because the present moment is so powerful and it's 
you can you can read it as oh i just need to live more in the present i need to like stop stop my mind chatter but there's also very like more i don't mean this to sound like like super intellectual there's no, also could, advanced ways exactly. to read you can read it there's also advanced ways to read that book and that book part of the power of that book is you can read it multiple times throughout your life and as you grow you start to see more yes. of what the, the truth that he's pointing at in that book yes. and i think that's actually one of the like one of the main reasons it's such a fantastic and such a universal book that that everyone loves is because it's it's taking this concept of the present moment and and the now and it's yeah. teaching it in such a way that it's like accessible and and helpful for people at every single wherever level wherever you're at yeah I just I think that book's great. I just think that was I just think that was genius. Okay. Um. <laughs> By the way, it's funny because you and I have a friend whose mom list has listened to my stuff over the years, but his mom's other favorite spiritual teachers are like the most misogynist, anti-gay, unbelievably narrow. I don't know what the word is. Harsh teachers. And my friend is always saying to his mom, "How can you like?" Rob, and then all of these others, and you and I are always laughing about that, um, because people can engage with your work. I mean, the beautiful thing is when people can engage with your work at whatever, yeah, wherever they're at, yeah. Which, which you got to get over yourself and just smile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, and that's the best. Okay, uh, so tr so Trump, I think there's there's a really interesting way to look at Trump through through this model and the the past four years. And kind of his rise to power, um, Trump is. Uh, I, I think most people listening can probably like figure out what where <laughs> Trump's center of gravity is at. I mean, I think Trump's kind of the epitome of red. Um, he's just like pure throbbing red, throbbing red, and and you notice neon when, red sign five hundred feet in the sky. I mean, he even wears that red tie. Like he's just he's just like straight <laughs> yeah. up, and he it, orange skin too. So it's like, <laughs> um, uh, but Trump when he was running in in twenty fifteen, it, it was like pure red and then you see him using like what's oftentimes red people will do is use some blue rhetoric to kind of get you so you see trump is like fully just embodying red and then also but using american patriot constitution loyalty we need to build up the military law and order it, law and order law, so yeah. he uses this blue rhetoric and he uses these kind of blue sayings and the republican party is at mostly like a center of gravity of blue and orange so most Republican politicians are around blue. They're not as red as Trump is. So Trump is using a lot of, he's red, but he's using a lot of blue rhetoric. Now, I think the story of Trump's presidency is how much he actually surprised the Republican Party, because I think so many of those Republicans thought he was way more blue than he actually was. I think they saw the blue rhetoric, and I think Trump duped them. It, Trump duped them by using that blue rhetoric, because once he got into office, it was like pure full steam ahead just absolute just like like a red mania you know what i mean like only <laughs> right. only my way right right like my right. way of the highway firing people i mean you saw how he treated the people in, in his um cabinet just firing them left and right like he was like a like a mob boss you know what i mean yes and i think he totally shocked i think that i think republicans were totally blindsided by how much more red he was than they thought he would be I think they thought he would be much more of a blue kind of traditional Republican leader because he used some of that rhetoric. And I think you're you're now seeing, I think you're going to see them kind of distance themselves from him. You're already kind of seeing that like after his four years, I think he was such a headache for so many of them that they're kind of like 
ready to be done with him. You know what I mean? Oh, right, because the 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 rhetoric, constitution, law and order, um, truly American, make it great. It appeared to be an actual ideology. Yeah. But then the only ideology under there was a person. Yeah, and that's that's actually that's that's a great point. That's one of the most interesting aspects of Trump and and kind of things about his presidency was that like it, there really wasn't he, he really doesn't actually have like any un, any ideology under there except for just like my own wants my yes. own like it's just pure like he, he is his own ideology you know yes. What I mean? yes which yes, I think yes, yes. totally yeah. surprised and shocked so many of them so many of the, so much of the Republican Party and even even not just the Republican Party I just think in the Democratic Party and almost everyone just yeah. how much more of a red leader he yes. was yes. than people predicted right um, which I think right, really right, kind right. of explains his, his right. destruction he caused and kind of explains the reaction to him from so many people. Because because a, a lot of leadership that has a blue center of gravity is from actual believers. Yeah. Like, that's they actually which is, wh- incarnate it. Which is why... When, I mean, I say that in health, even. Yeah. Which is why when Trump would do that, like, religious stuff, it looked so ridiculous to it. Like, when Trump would, like, pose with the Bible and do, oh, like, the, right. like, praying. Like, if you're just, like, a... Like, if you're just watching that, like, you're a normal person, you're just, like, what the... Like, it just looks so ridiculous yeah. because you just see through that, like... Right. Like, red using the blue. But but so many people, like, bought... Some yes, people kind right. of, like, He's bought into that these symbols. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. You'll often see somebody... you They... It is not their center of gravity, but they are using... It's forms, symbols, language, it's speech patterns. And so the people of that center of gravity, oh, you must be one of us. Nope. Yeah, and and red can easily exploit blue by doing that because blue loves their rhetoric and loves the person that kind of like totes the... The conventional wisdom and red, red can jump on like a, a, a red person that sees that can yeah, smart jump red, on, just smart red. Like, can I know what to do with that. Can jump on that, yeah. Yes. And, and blue can be easily duped in that sense. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. Okay, let's do two movies. Breaking Bad. Oh no, let's do a TV show. Breaking Bad. Are any Breaking Bad fans out here? Okay. How would you Breaking Bad? Um, Breaking... Walter White starts the show and he's what? Uh, he's kind of a chemistry teacher that kind of gets uh, bossed around and kind of punked and, and... Disempowered purple. Disempowered purple. And then, yeah, anyone that's seen the show, I think, knows where we're about to go. That is a move from purple to straight red. Oh, he puts yeah. that hat on. Yeah. And I, that's actually... That's the, really the power of the show, and I think that's why it connected with so many people, is Walter White's transformation throughout the show was, like, so... It, it, it's just, like, so huge almost you know what i mean from where he goes from the start of the show to where he ends up it's like not even the same person what's the danger line i've heard you say it in the kitchen uh yeah he tells skylar uh you you think i'm in you think i'm in danger i am the danger you know (laughs) like and that's such an that's such an iconic line because it's yeah it's 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 this this chemistry teacher that gets cancer and it's just kind of like no one takes seriously becoming like a like top drug dealer that's like feared he goes from you think i'm in danger i am the danger yeah yeah, yeah, right. So you see why that show connected with Sony Hugel. And you can see why so many movies and shows are speaking to such early powerful stages of human consciousness. Yeah. And they go right for um do you want to be pushed around or do you want to be the danger? Oh yeah, that's, that's a like, huge theme in Do you want to yeah. do you want to let your life push you around or do you want to take responsibility? So that can be that can be 
that can be very healthy actually because it that's the power of myth that's the power of story that's the power of narrative is it can talk to very sophisticated people who believe they're beyond such things yeah and go no you are cheering at the end yeah because it spoke to you again because all these stages exist within us absolutely no one's above any stage, absolutely yeah. by the way we should talk about uh oh let's do another one money ball yeah money money ball is uh uh starting off if Brad I remember, Pitt, Jonah Hill, one of our favorite, yeah, some of our favorites. Those two so in a movie, right along is gonna be that awesome. That movie's about the integration of orange. Okay, so. so you have the scene in the meeting room with all the scouts, with Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. He brings in Jonah Hill, and he is trying to show these old school baseball scouts a different way to understand how to evaluate players. And they're like, well, you know, does he have a girlfriend? You know, just the sound when he hits the ball. I like the way they're, they're straight, almost magic or mythic. They're like, there's a way that we scout baseball players. There's a conventional wisdom. And Brad Pitt comes in and he's like, on base percentage. That's who we're looking for. Who gets on base? Yep. Who gets on? And he keeps Wh looking at Jonah Hill. Is who orange. Gets Data. Orange. Yeah. Orange. Orange. We're not going to run this team by like a feeling that you have. We're gonna run it by data and percentages. Yeah. That is a classic, that movie is a war be, uh, between orange and blue or even purple at some level. Yeah. Um, and it's that, well, especially the one scene when he's just like on base friends and he just keeps looking at Jonah Hill. That's like, he's just trying to show them orange, orange. Orange, by the way, in sports, sabermetrics, um, you actually right now have a very interesting thing happening in sports, which is this massive explosion of new data. And so you have a whole new kind of sports writing. The Ringer, 538, who are looking at these incredibly advanced numbers. Um, how many times in the second half when Kevin Durant was the third touch after the ball crossed the half line was the plus minus on the other three players other than the point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have these incredibly advanced and you have a whole new generation of general manager that's looking at all of these incredibly detailed metrics about actually what happens when this combination of players is on. And then you have TNT where the legendary Charles Barkley was like, he's just a fighter, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't like sabermetrics too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see certain commentators that are just like, he just plays with a lot of fight. Yeah, yeah. You see that kind of almost like culture war between like the yes, like like right. the, the kind of like ner the nerd right. talking about sports and the guys that actually played the sports and <laughs> right. oh, they don't get right, it. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, like the the one the one the one uh, commentator will say, oh, he's just a ball player, and the other one will be like. Actually, his plus-minus in the second half of the playoffs was a negative 11. So he's actually not, just for the record, doing what you think he's doing. Which is funny because those two camps are usually, like, at each other, but they actually can, like, integrate different aspects right. of each other that, like, like the, the kind of, like, nerd sabermetric people can actually, like, use a little bit of the just, like, heart and soul kind of way right. of talking about sports that the 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 people that actually played and the people that are in the other camp kind of talk about and those people can actually maybe yes. integrate a little bit more of like data like it's it, it's not like either side's right you know what i mean it's kind of about like integrating both of them and, and this is our point 
into our fourth or fifth hour of talking about this is when you see two different things like battling it out, essentially, in conflict, one of the questions asked, not always does it get you where you need to go, but oftentimes the question just of what's the truth that each of them are actually bringing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And then yellow integral simply values the contribution of each. Now, mm. sometimes a contribution is simply antiquated. It's no longer helpful. Um, but as a general rule, integral thinking, as opposed to including one and excluding the other, or thinking that, well, we moved past that, what was the truth there that we may still need? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, okay, another one, NASCAR. <laughs> Here's why I think NASCAR is fascinating. NASCAR is stock car racing. So it's people going unbelievably fast in a car and trying to win and short of actually causing the other person to crash, it is testosterone, adrenaline, speed, engine, power, uh, combustion. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is, I mean, stock car racing would be red to the bone. But then what happened? And what was it, the late 80s, 90s? What did NASCAR do? I'm not a NASCAR expert, by the way. Okay. So. so, but think, you know, you know what the cars, those cars look like? Yeah. And the cars have all those logos on them. Think about the logos on them. Cheerios, M&M, Home Depot. So you can see what NASCAR did is NASCAR took this incredibly competitive, thrill-inducing, adrenalized sport and went, okay, so we get the dude who just wants to get drunk and watch this racing. Okay. But what if that guy could bring his family to this car race and he knew that nothing was going to be offensive, you know what I mean, that he could safely bring his family well, let's get corporate. Let's let's get a driver's conduct policy. You know what I mean? Let's like keep our hold our drivers to a standard. Let's get Cheerios to be a sponsor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then what happened to NASCAR? It became absolutely massive, like billions of dollars of advertising revenue. So what did they do? They took the thrill of red and they gave it just enough uh, palatable blue, you know what I mean? Yeah. Family, country, um, discipline, um, language, uh, speak a certain way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Our, our racers are good men. They're good women. They're good people. Um, so sometimes what you'll see is in that case, take all of the danger and excitement of red and then give it just enough blue to make it accessible and acceptable to a whole world of good, decent, hardworking American families. And guess what? You can make billions and billions yeah. That's fascinating. Of I, didn't even, I didn't even realize, oh, yeah. realize that. Yeah. Well, here's another one. Um, one time, Mom and I were uh, just out walking. This was a number of years ago. This had to have been six or seven years ago. We're here in L.A. We're out walking uh, one Saturday afternoon. And we're walking like a whole row of stores. And we walk by a store, and Mom's like, oh, I think I want to go into that one. I was like, okay. So she goes into the store, and I'm out on the sidewalk just, you know, looking at ESPN on my phone or whatever, like you do. 
And after a while, she hadn't come out, so I knew, ah, uh, and, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I thought, oh, she's trying something on. So I go in, and mom's trying something on. So I sit down in the store. They have these uh, comfortable chairs right next to where people are trying things on. And next to the chair I'm sitting in is a, a coffee table, and on it is a coffee table book. And so I just pick it up, and I start leafing through it. And it's a coffee table book made by the Kardashian sisters. And it's all these pictures, and it's like a life scrapbook. Like, like, what's your favorite pet we ever had? What's your most embarrassing car accident? Like, they're um, just sharing about their lives and all these um, home, you know, photographs from growing up. And then I read this paragraph, and it says, we always talked about having our own store, and then we did it. And all of a sudden, I realize... I'm in the Kardashian store. <laughs> That's why this book is here. I'm in the store. Um, and I was so struck in that moment. Ah, there you go. We always talked about having our own store. And then we did it. And I was like, every articulate, educated person I know who doesn't get the Kardashians and their appeal, you're missing it. Yep. You're trying to understand larger cultural... No, 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 no. We had an idea and then we did it. Yep. That's unbelievably powerful. And what that shows you, that move from... That move to Empowered Red, that, that move that how many people live with a disempowered purple. The forces are against me. My family are cursed. I never get a break. Nothing goes my way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen this. You can see this kind of disempowerment all over the place. And if somebody somewhere can inspire you to move from disempowered, other people get to do that, to, yeah, why don't you try it? Yeah. We talked about doing it, and then we did it. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. And this is the thing you see again and again is people not understanding the appeal of a person, a book, an idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. A show. Um, is if you begin to see we all have these spaces. With, or have you ever um, noticed... Uh, somebody who sees themselves as quite sophisticated and then they'll talk about the guilty pleasure. You know what I mean? They'll yeah. be like, I just love Tupac. It's like a guilty pleasure. It's like, no, it's keeping something. Yeah. It's keeping something alive. That's a great point. Yeah. You, you think sometimes people, it's like people think they're intellectually slumming it if they like a particular artist or if they like a particular, sometimes it's no, no, it's just keeping you. It's, it's speaking to something within you that needs to hear that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. It's, it, it, people, people listening to this, if you if you can look in your own life and see the things that the things that you like and you enjoy, and almost kind of see which part they are speaking to, that's a huge way to see these stages within you and see yeah. kind of how everything works together and contributes. Yeah. Oh, we should talk. Uh, we should talk about Patagonia, um, right near here in Ventura, California. Patagonia, they make all those coats and climbing gear and all that. Kept Patagonia from early on gave 1% away of all their profits to causes. 
And what you're noticing now is you, how many of you have noticed recently businesses that are advertising, but they're not advertising the thing that they're doing. They're advertising the they're not they're not advertising their product like you know those, those Honda commercials. Oh yeah, the men hot dogs or something. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous one. The, 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 they started off with like giving like giving someone like like a like tuition paying for like their tuition or something and then it changed to like paying for groceries so i was like all right cool cool then there was one that they showed it was like they were at like these people are at a baseball game and then it's the honda people are like giving out those like nasty baseball hot dogs for free and i'm like wait hold on hold on have we like we started off with like paying for like serious stuff like giving people cars and like tuition and now we're like pe- these people in the commercial are- these people, these people in the commercial are like going nuts. Like, thank you, thank you for giving out like those like nasty. They give those out for free at the end of the game anyway. <laughs> like, come on, Honda, that was that was just lazy. <laughs> I never forget when you and I. I don't know what game we were watching, and and they they came out with the hot dog one, and you you. I remember you just being like, "Man, you guys fell." But what's interesting about that? There's actually something very significant there. You can see now in corporate culture, it's no longer enough to make money. Yeah. You actually have to be good. And that's actually really, really significant because much of corporate culture uh, in the Western world has an orange center of gravity. Yeah. Like just make money and make money for your shareholders. And now what you're seeing as consciousness ever so gradually inevitably rises is you see green, you see orange tipping into green and it's not enough just to make money. It has to be good. So you have triple bottom line, which is it's no longer enough just to have a bottom line financially. The bottom line is, is this company, is it good to work there is it a good humane place to work and then the third on triple bottom line is is that good for the earth yeah and so you see um all sorts of ceos uh there's a huge one a couple years ago a whole group of ceos got together and did a whole like commitment it's not enough anymore all of that is the rising of consciousness yeah that's, and that, the handing out of hot that's dogs. a huge change in the in, in the business industry it's almost like you're seeing orange realize that like it's actually better for orange values if you incorporate some of those green yes. values. It's it's actually better for business if you incorporate yeah. like sensitivity and caring about the earth and like this yeah. the, the triple bottom line. Yeah. And so you can see how or in in unhealth, orange exploits the beautiful redemptive movements of green for its own bottom line. So it takes Black Lives Matter, it takes LGBTQ affirmation and support even i talked about this it takes whatever's in the air and says hey we're for that and sometimes it feels like god are you doing that just because you want to but then that's that's orange in unhealth or that's orange sort of beginning to dance with green yeah but it's actually uh you can read it as like a turnoff like oh they don't really mean that or you can say oh yeah this is what happens when consciousness begins to rise yeah. is people begin to realize there's more going on. Okay, we should talk about um, the stages in the NFL versus the NBA. Yeah, well, I was, I mean, I just think that was a good transition to, I think you're, you're seeing that that orange kind of moving, kind of incorporating green. You're seeing that right now in the NFL. 
like the NFL becoming much more involved in like social justice, like issues, having all the those stop racism uh, and ra- or sorry and racism in the end zone, um, right? Which I always find hilarious, like end racism. Like we're just gonna push the end racism button. Like it's it's, it's yeah. a they're they're trying. It, it's it just comes off as a, like a little awkward because you can see yes. them like trying. They're like they're trying to incorporate these green things, which is which should only be applauded. Um, but like yeah, you're you're seeing the NFL right now realize because the NFL is like like a prime example of like blue red blue orange blue orange realizing it's gonna get left behind yeah. and watching the nba so far ahead yeah. in consciousness wise um even even players the m the nfl uh of the past generation really conflicted about how free players are to actually speak up whereas the nba expects it yeah you know what i mean yeah like of course you're going to use your platform to to encourage and coax yeah. consciousness forward specifically in regards to police brutality and racism and yeah yeah the, yeah, the, yeah. the nba has been very green yeah for a while been yeah. very green for a while and that's why when people are wondering like why what what's happening why is the one seem so much better at this it's stages it's different stages of consciousness we should right now pause for a moment and talk about the greatest basketball player ever lebron yep you think about LeBron, um, who we just adore, but you think about he comes out of Akron with this extraordinary ability, like even even just as just the physicality of his play. There's just never like just hasn't been an athlete like him, but then he gets an AAU coach, so. At a young age, he gets a disciplined, structured coach who takes all that red and gives him, here's how you shoot a free throw. Here's how you shoot a layup. Here's how a zone defense works. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Here's, um, here's the conventional wisdom of the sport of basketball. Yeah. And so at an early age, he isn't ball hogging. He's passing. He realizes quickly it's not all about him. It's about playing with a team. And then you see him uh, get into business, the whole deal with uh, the Beats headphones. He buys a portion of Liverpool, yeah, a Premier League yeah. English soccer team, yeah. which turns out to be an unbelievably good investment. So you watch him um, understanding his how business works, and then he starts a voter registration organization, which was very active this fall. Like doing, he starts a school um, in Akron. Yeah, which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you see, this is like green, orange, blue. I want to make sure that kids learn to read and write. Um, you are seeing an integral human being in peak form. Yeah. With that man. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And you watch his development and growth since he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the chosen one when he was 18. You're watching, very similar with Jay-Z, um, that move from purple to red, the hustle. And then you see Jay-Z and Beyonce doing fundraisers for Obama. Yeah. I mean, talk about being a part, talk about being outside of the system to being right in the middle of the system. Yeah. Political fundraisers. Yeah. Blue to the bone. And then orange, like his tremendous business acumen. And then you see even Jay-Z now 
trying to help the NFL with its move into greater social justice awareness. Um, oftentimes what you're seeing in the evolution of people in the public eye is you're seeing them literally move through stages in extraordinary ways. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh man. Uh, what else we got here? I oh, mean, we can stay, we can stick stay with the sports examples. I think I think UFC is really interesting. Uh, I I I'm a big fan of UFC, and I I've always found it like kind of hilarious how UFC kind of has like the like stereotype of like the fan of like the like guy in his like pickup truck, like just kind of almost like it, yeah. it has a very like stereotypical fan, but it's also very interesting how the UFC also has like a like a wide variety like a very has a, a wide variety of fans like it has a yeah. very, you cannot pigeonhole the fans you can't pigeonhole the fans maybe in the in the past it was more of that kind of like stereotypical ufc fan but as it's gotten more popular it's gotten like to like <laughs> academics and like remember like, when i started watching with you and yeah. i would be like trace i cannot look away <laughs> yeah. i love this who's the sugar sugar sugar, sugar show yeah Sean, oh sugar Sean show come yeah, on Valley's awesome oh um <laughs> But it, it has like I'm riveted. So many different people love that sport because I think it's like a it's it's red. I mean, I think it's like people it's a like itching that kind of red urge that some people have. Oh right, you know what right. I mean? It's like barbaric and primal, and I can't even really endorse it as a sport. It's kind of awful, <laughs> but like you know what I mean. Like, right. Like true. In, in 50, 100 years, we're gonna be looking back like we did what? Like it, it's yeah. It's pretty. It's a pretty awful sport, but like I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. But like, you and I cannot look away. There's a, like a primal sort of like red itch that it. it, that it um. It speaks to something. Yeah. It's like a think about. Think about. A couple thousand years ago, this tribe is going to battle with this other tribe. And so they paint their faces the color of their tribe because they have colors that they've been associated with for years. They have their drummers and the songs that they sing as they go into battle. They have the stories they tell around the fire the night before of past victories. And then they go into battle against the other tribe and they put their greatest warriors out on the battlefield. And the crowd watches and cheers. Um, are we talking about tribal warfare 4,000 years ago? Or are we talking about college basketball? Yeah. Because that is part of the power of sports. Is It's very tribal, very superstitious. The players wear this color laces. They do this ritual before the game. The coach is the tribal chieftain yeah. who has the long tradition of winning. You think about Shashevsky, you think about John Wood, you think about the great coaches and the, the myths that grow up around them. Um, this, this is, yeah, these are all very ancient, primitive movements that are alive and well. I mean, even think about fan loyalty. What, well, there's a great line about and nobody decides to be a New York Giants fan. You know what I mean? You are born yeah. a New York it's like Giants me with the fan. It's like you with the Lions. Yeah. No one chooses to be a Lions I, fan. I didn't choose this. You yeah. just are a Lions fan. Exactly. You think about how much of fandom, um, it wasn't like you sat down and looked at the, the, the league standings and statistics. No one picked rationally who they were going to choose from. You picked Manchester United because... Just, just to punk your friend who was a Liverpool fan, right? There were some other reasons too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you think I about love it. Rooney, yeah. It um, were fan. People are fans because their parents were fans. People are fans because they were born 
in a particular area. Yeah, that's kind of why I love the Lions because it's like, why would I choose this team? Like, there's no reason really why. Like, it's such a stupid. Yes. Like, why would anyone choose to like support this yeah. team? But it's like yeah. that's kind of what makes me love them. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like yeah. It's like a pre-rational like right. it's like right. that right. just it's like a p- integrating like that like pre-rational kind of like I just I just do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh man, the, and this is key key to understanding. Sometimes when you find yourself drawn to something and you're like but this makes no sense why why does this move me i can't and and your brain is like locking up because it can't rationally break down why you find it so interesting think about the stages and probably what has happened is it's speaking to a pre-rational part of you because the 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 hyper rational center of gravity comes pretty it's not that you can't think and you aren't logical and you don't have the ability to reason things but as a dominant center of gravity it generally comes to people later and so there are all these parts of us that exist at a pre-rational level why do you like the music that you like nobody you know what i mean yeah The, the music that uh the music that we like generally is speaking to much earlier places within us that's opening up spaces that are often pre-rational um all you know is you listen to that singer and it opens your heart (laughs) what is that show us the evidence for that you can't show us the data for that you can't you just know that that opens your heart yeah that's what's happening there uh one time i was talking to this friend of mine who's a principal and she's a principal of a very uh, an urban very progressive school that was all elementary school it's all about discovery all about art all about exploration and she had been um traveling from the states to africa to work with schools in africa and she could not connect and it was uh it was like becoming very frustrating for her and so one time we were together and i got out a sheet of paper and i just mapped out the stages for her because I had this sense that there might be something happening there. Because she was, at the time, the principal of a, a glowing green school. You know what yeah. I mean? Diversity training for fourth graders. Like, this school was green, Yeah, green. I went there, I remember. <laughs> yeah, Trace went there. Okay, there we go. I'm so, well aware. <laughs> I was like, how much of this do I say? Or how much of Trace, yeah, so Trace was there. Um, a very urban, green, everybody has a story. Let's care for the earth. Super diverse. It was a great school, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I remember she got tears in her eyes seeing the stages because she was like, oh, my God, the people in Africa that she is working with are trying to get, like, water. Um, they're trying to get school supplies. They're just trying to get a safe physical space where kids can come. And she's like, their needs... These are very intelligent, wonderful people, but the actual needs on the ground are like pencils and safety and food for lunch. He's like, and I'm bringing them like this green, loose kind of, what do you, how do you feel? She's like, no wonder, no wonder nothing's working. No wonder they, I, I'm talking, it's like we're missing each other. Um, they have actual needs that how how do you like how can you hear when your stomach's grumbling yeah because it's hungry Um, and i just remember that extraordinary breakthrough she had of like oh or um 
one time I did a whole series of sermons. This is this is probably my mid thirties. I did a whole series of sermons on how in the Bible, caring for the poor is like one of the central ideas. In fact, there's one prophet who says to care for the poor is to know God. So the prophet just says, don't tell me all of your stuff if you don't protect the vulnerable in your midst. Don't give me all your highfalutin religious stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how you care for the most vulnerable in your midst is how you know the divine. And it was the most fascinating thing. After a couple of the sermons, people came up to me almost trembling with a with variations on this one question. People would say, does this mean that God still loves us? And I remember, I remember being like, how does this sermon, uh, how do these sermons about the responsibility of wealth and privilege to, to give it away and spread it and to empower others, how is this, why are some people having a very unsettled, disruptive reaction to this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's, what could, what's, why does this seem to be personally deeply affecting people? And I remember it, it took me forever to sort it out. Oh, when I was talking about responsibility for the most vulnerable, there were people whose center of gravity was in like a disempowered purple place where are the gods... I'm trying to get the gods on my side. And you're what they heard was, you're telling me I have to do this to get the gods on my side. You're giving me the new hex, the new potion, the new thing to chant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, oh. And this was when I really, so this was 15 years ago. Oh, so if I had begun those teachings with, we're all loved exactly as we are. There is grace for all of us. Now, from this place of deep love that we're all coming from, what should we do with our time and energy? Well, if we have something, let the one who has two coats give to the one who has none. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I had started with that purple, red, um, you're loved. You always have been. You're good. Um. Everything you've ever been striving for, you've had the whole time. That could have spoken there, but I didn't understand. You know what I mean? I didn't understand that. That was a very green series of teachings, but I didn't understand how I wasn't speaking to the full, to the full spiral, to the full stages. And whew. oh man, okay, Trace, that's a serious. That's a serious speed round about the amount of stuff that we. Yeah, we covered a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, we should we should end with what we touched on earlier about green. That for roughly a generation, green has been what's called the leading edge of culture. So, roughly the '60s, a lot of theorists say that that the leading edge of culture, which means 10%, tipped into green, and you had this explosion of civil rights, feminism, ecology, gay rights. I mean, you had. Um, because when 10% of the population reaches the next stage of consciousness, all the, the whole thing is affected in good ways. Yeah. Um, and so 
what we talked about is for a generation, green has been the leading edge, but this performative contradiction of your truth and your truth and your truth, green in some key ways was not able to lead well. And so much of what passes for what we would call right-wing political rhetoric is actually critique of the ways in which green failed. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. it there there's a, a lot of people that have careers basically uh, rebelling against green. So you'll see people people that make their careers. I'm talking about the social justice warriors on college campuses and and censorship, coastal and elites, coastal elites, and um, cancel culture is a big one right now. That's that's uh, that's kind of a Re, uh, rebelling against green and kind of the ways that green has now i think a lot of that stuff is is overblown i think a lot of people make it a bigger deal than it actually is because it it fuels um it, it fuels their career and it, it kind of gives them something it gives a lot of people something to get riled up about but that is uh representative of green uh failing in some areas and there's there's a backlash that's a, a lot of the culture war is backlash against the leading edge green right now yeah, so you, my Robcast listeners, if you have found yourself, you don't groove with Fox News, but you've also found yourself sometimes not grooving with the left. Um, and by the way, when I, like when I do Q&As on tour and I ask people about this, it's amazing how like every hand goes up. If you found, if you found the, some of the right to be narrow and brittle and just insufferable, but you found the left sometimes just as brittle and narrow, but it also has an underbelly of arrogance because it thinks it's better than the right. Yeah. Um, yes, this is what happens at second tier, is you begin, or if you have found progressives at times to be incredibly annoying, <laughs> um, and you're like, yeah, no, I'm on, I'm on that team, but... God, it's just some of it's just unbearable. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is what's happening is integral, second tier. You're you're seeing the some that it's called, you know, we've talked about mean green. Yeah. Um theorists talk about mean green, which is that mean, nasty, narrow green that in the name of sensitivity and tolerance is actually really really insufferable yeah um that that the college campus thing where how many great comedians right now are like are not doing college campuses because they're like you can't say anything um yeah this is what happens when green collapses in on itself um and when a stage in unhealth it's almost like it's not working at some level then Oftentimes what happens is it coaxes people to move to a, another stage, a later stage of expansion, evolution, and unfolding consciousness. Yep, which is, which which is next. Which is what is happening. By the way, uh, let's go back. Oh, you'll like this one. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Abraham uh, hears this divine message that tells him, Abraham, I will bless you. And then I will make a great family or a great nation out of you. And then the whole earth will be blessed through you. 
So thousands of years ago, this, what's he, a Sumerian man <laughs> named Abram, who eventually has his name changed to Abraham, Genesis 12, this is the like the birth of the Hebrew people, but the original promise to Abraham is, I will bless you, so uh, um, you, you will receive, you will possess all of the goodness of life, so like a healthy me, a healthy purple-red, I will make a tribe out of you, blue, and through you and this tribe, the whole world will be blessed. So your tribe won't just exist to be a tribe battling it out with other tribes. But this is actually a radical idea in human consciousness, in the evolution of consciousness, is the promise is your tribe will exist to bless all the other tribes, which is a very me, we, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So again and again, and, and one of the prophets said, this tribe will be a light to the Gentiles. So it was, this tribe will bless all the other tribes. So what you have with Jesus is he keeps calling his tribe back to this Abraham. You know, I've talked about the Abraham, um, Jesus referring to Abraham and to Moses and to I am, but before Abraham was, I was, but you have Jesus calling his tribe back to blessing the world, me, we, everybody. So these ideas are new, theorists are mapping this in all sorts of new ways, and yet thousands of years ago you can find stories that have all these truths sort of looping through them about how we grow, how we expand, how we bless each other. Man, this, this was my favorite one. This this was the episode. This was the episode I really wanted. When we talked about doing a spiral dynamics episode, this was the one I like really kind of had in my head. It was like the like modern day examples. Like what we just did was like I was really excited about when we talked about yeah doing this episode. Yeah. So like, it's kind of it, it feels right that this was like the third one. This was like the almost like culmination. Like we laid the groundwork the last two ones, and then I feel <laughs> like we this was really like ours. It felt like you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Man, oh man, that's good. That's good, Trace. Anything else? No, Does I, that cover it. Uh, I, I just, I know I've, I'm sure the people that have listened to all three of them are just tired of uh, me or repeating some of these points. But no I way, just, you I can't do, repeat it enough. I know, I but think. I'm, I'm going to because it's, it's just so important to stress. It's important to stages are not better than right, right. It's right. important that that people don't miss misconstrue this model and what we're talking about as like. So-and-so is better because they're at such stage. And the stage is supposed to be get rid of judgments rather than creating another model that you right. can judge people right. by. Right. And again, I've, I've said it so many times, but it's imperative that you see these own stages within yourself and you see your own growth, your own growth with this model because then it'll help you have compassion for others. And there's no... it, it Just because someone is at... Their center of gravity is at a certain stage does not make them l less or it's not, that might not make them worse. Everyone goes through these stages and everyone has to play them out in order to truly grow. And it's, yeah. you have to see it within yourself so that you can see it within everyone else. And you can have compassion and patience for people um, that are yeah. at certain stages, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think about health at an earlier stage is so powerful 
even when you think about unhealth at later stages. Exactly. Yeah. You think about uh, you think about blue traditional who reads in the Bible. Um, man, let the one who has two cloaks give to the one who has none, and so they they start a a food pantry. They start a clothing giveaway to make sure everybody has coats for winter. And it's very simple and straightforward. And you ask them why they're doing that because it says it in the Bible, man, take that any day, um, over the person who's sees themselves as so advanced yet they're all tied up and they don't do a thing because that would be imposing my value system. Hey, it's winter's coming. It's getting cold. This person's getting them coats. That's not imposing a value system. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and how often people get all bound up in and unable to just meet other people in love. So you're completely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing. Uh, and and all of this is love for everybody everywhere and, and trying to understand where people are coming from. Yep. Man, oh, man. We did cover it, though. Whew. Everything, man. UFC to the Kardashians to NASCAR to... We, we cover it all. <laughs> everybody, this has been part three of me, we, and everybody. On behalf of my colleague Trace and I, grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye. <laughs>